Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. everybody welcome to this week's episode of honest retail uh we are here on episode 32 this is gonna be a slightly shorter uh format episode than we usually do we had some rescheduling and everything for a busy week off of the holidays so we're gonna do uh 30 minutes uh and just kind of rapid fire today uh excited to be uh joined by a good industry friend uh amrit um richmond from indie cpg uh amrit how are you doing today i'm good thanks for having me yeah, um, I think we can dive in. Let's get a little bit about your backgrounds and um, we can kind of go from there. Sure, I, I split my time between community building with my friend, Steven. Uh, we connect founders in food and beverage and also beauty and wellness to each other, um, to different partners in the ecosystem, like retailers and investors, um, and generally just like to learn alongside the community about where all of this is going, how to bring brands to market. And um, the rest of my time, I do market research consulting around CPG. So helping companies with their market maps, kind of where they sit in the, in the grocery store. Um, and I'm covering different opportunities for growth with data. And that's uh, Stephen from Olipop, right? Yes. Awesome. Um, yeah, and we've known each other for a few years. It's been great to, to kind of get to know you and see the community that you're building uh, expand. I remember seeing you at Expo West and you made those awesome uh, like pins for everybody. Um, so if you're going to be Expo East or Expo West, I'll have to cop some more of those because those are pretty awesome. Yes, we'll, we'll be at Expo East and I do have some pins left in case anybody wants one. Awesome. CJ, how are you doing off of the uh, Labor Day holiday? Yeah, I mean... So like I don't know, labor like three day weekends are always like great in theory, but then you feel like the entire next week is just constantly playing catch up. So yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's highly packed in um, like this episode, so it's uh, good. So so I'm, what we usually do is we usually hop, uh, hop into like um, kind of brands that uh, caught our eye from the previous week. Obviously, I know you've listened before, so you kind of understand the drill. Um, I'll I'll start this week. Um, so for me, I, I tried the Cleveland Kraut salad dressings for the first time. Uh, I actually thought they were really solid. Uh, like I've loved that brand since they came out. I uh, was interested in in seeing kind of new skews and new verticals they were going to go into. And so uh, love the idea of increasing my gut health while uh, having salad dressing. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was good. And uh, I think something that I will definitely incorporate into my weekly uh, shopping basket. So excited about that one. Uh, Amri, how about you? A uh, product I've been loving lately is actually right in front of me. It's the Jibby Stone Ground Matcha with a little bit of CBD in it and L-theanine. And uh, it's very gentle caffeine, no crashes throughout the day and um, has been helping me focus on a lot of uh, decks and writing lately. Very cool. Uh, and CJ, how about you? Um, I, I, I actually haven't had a chance to try any new products this week. It's been- uh, it's, it's been so busy. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been a little bit of a week, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, Although let's the, jump. the Cleveland Kitchen one I love, right? The that's the Amberstone guys. Um, that's a that's a great company. They just bought Sonoma Brinery recently to expand their their West Coast um, West Coast uh, footprint. They're, they do a great job. 
Yeah, it's like when they started, you were just like, how does like a sauerkraut business get, you know, relatively big, but like, um, obviously, like all the different verticals, the same way kind of like grillos and like when you're just focusing on one thing to begin, like it's it's hard to figure out how that's going to go into different categories and stuff. But yeah, the thing looks like they've made all the right moves and Mac and the team over there are awesome people. So uh, very excited to see what they have next. Um, all right, well, we're going to cover three topics uh, this week. Uh, the first topic is actually going to be, we don't talk a lot about like quick service restaurants or a lot about, um, you know, too many, uh, retailers, uh, that are doing food and beverage, um, like in this format, but we wanted to talk a little bit about blank street, uh, coffee. Uh, it's actually a company that I hadn't heard a ton about. And then I saw it popping up everywhere over the last couple of weeks. And apparently in New York city and Williamsburg, which I haven't been in the city for quite a while. So maybe that's why I haven't seen it too much, uh, is, is kind of popping up, uh, on every block. And it looks like this kind of coffee powerhouse that's, um, powered by general catalyst and tiger global, uh, who led their $25 million series a round. It's a very stark, uh, it's even like starker than the most stark, uh, uh, kind of hipster coffee shops. Um, and the aesthetic um, definitely leaves a little bit to be desired. Uh, pricing is kind of somewhere in between Dunkin' and Starbucks, where it's a little bit less than Starbucks, a little bit more than Dunkin'. And they've come out saying, hey, listen, we don't, you know, we don't necessarily want to be the best coffee that you have, but we want to be something that's affordable, a cool aesthetic, and, and maybe you're coming back uh, once or twice. Um, so CJ, let's start with you. What was kind of your thoughts on seeing a coffee shop like this, uh, get that type of funding, um, kind of the thoughts behind um, this company and, and where you think they might be going? Um, I think it's really cool. I, I, I've really enjoyed reading about it. I think that, I, I think we'll have to set aside the fact that they got Tiger Global money during the height of Tiger Global's, uh, you know, absolute deployment spree um, and trying to not hold that against them necessarily. But, um, you know, it's funny, like you, you, you talked a lot about the aesthetic and I, you know, I, I think that really this is just a story about robots, right? Um, like, like all good stories, this is a story about robots. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, like, I, you know, when I was digging in, I was like, I was like, oh, like it, it, it forced me to confront like, the actual rising cost, like, you know, and some, some of the research I was doing, they were talking about like, yeah, a fully, a fully loaded barista is $50,000 a year. Um, and, and that's like, that's, you know, and, and rising substantially as, as we're seeing, you know, cost of wages go up, like that's, that's becoming an unsustainable model if you want to control the cost of coffee. So like, to me, this is like a giant kind of binary bet on, if robots make great coffee, do consumers care who make their coffee? Um, and if that answer is like no, and 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 the coffee seems like it's fairly high quality, then I then I think this is kind of like the first like if it works in coffee, then all the stuff that we've talked about around like you know robots taking over fast casual restaurants, you know, like like forget like robots working in factories, that's already happening. Um, but if 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 things as like kind of, we'll call it qualitatively as important to consumers as coffee, the way that Starbucks and Third Wave has trained everyone are, are able to be made by espresso machines and you control all their costs and like all bets are off yeah. on, 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 you know, what can happen in, in fast serve and, and, and food and beverage. Like I'm, I'm really excited to see if this works and it seems like it's really well thought out um, and, and, they, and they're growing quickly. So I, I, I kind of hope it does work. Yeah, I think uh, like 
Cafe X is the other one that like popped up, which I know that they, I think they have a few locations like in SFO and LAX and a mm -hmm. few airports out there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting to see like the different approaches there. Well, uh, I mean, not... I, I, the, the Cafe X thing, I think is super instructive. Like I'm, I'm not so sure I'm totally ready to pay, you know, five bucks to a robot only. But like, like they're not fortunate to do that. They're, they're basically saying we've got two humans there, so their only focus is on customer service and the road next to the coffee. Like I'm just a little bit more comfortable with that. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm just not ready for when like the robot hand is going to flip the iPad and ask me for like a 20% tip after <laughs> handing me a coffee. So that will, that will be what I'm not ready for. Uh, Omri, how about you? What's kind of your thoughts on this and, and um, kind of this, uh, this growing company? Sure. I, my, my thoughts are two-sided. One as a, daughter of a family that owns a cafe and a, as a you know small business in in Culver City um people love coming in to see the baristas that you build a relationship with and I think you can have both to the technology that makes the product more efficiently but still have someone handing it to a customer um that can create a great experience um for some people getting out of the house, especially in the last few years, once cafes were open again, getting out of the house, taking the walk with their dog or kid um, and walking back with a coffee gave them a little bit of, of memory of a commute for mental wellness. Um, but there are environments where a machine makes so much more sense in an office. Um, it reminds me of when I was in Italy recently, I was rushing late to a flight and I saw this glowing vending machine that had espresso in it. And I had three minutes to, to get one while I was rushing onto the flight. And um, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I waited in line and had a barista make one by hand. Yeah, I think like the consistency is like one of the things, like if I have to think about my least favorite part about like a coffee experience is like some days it'll be awesome and some days it will suck. <laughs> it's like that like consistency right. is kind of like the worst part of the experience. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to like that level of consistency, but I think from like work from home and like going to a coffee shop and like working from there, like, you know, I think you can still have like the workspace and everything and, and, um, mm -hmm. you know, still have that vibe. Um, but yeah, I think like it, it would take a lot of the emotion and kind of heart out of it if, if it was no human interaction at that point. So I think it's going to be interesting to see where do consumers prioritize human interaction and where do they, you know, not, and, and kind of how does that unfold in their day-to-day life yes and uh, last thing i'll say is that the coffee beans do matter if if these are are branded in different spaces but people trust the beans then they're more likely to try it 100 yeah i know i agree all right let's move to our next topic again uh rapid fire today a little bit different format so swoon a brand that we've talked about a ton um it's they're kind of a, a natural zero sugar uh lemonade brand i think they also do like arnold palmer's and half and half and iced teas as well uh, really cool branding uh and, and kind of a retail darling right now um has really switched over um is now starting to abandon their their owned dtc arm to now switch to more amazon fulfillment and I think CJ, you actually brought this article to our attention uh, like last week. So I'll lend it over to you to start. And, and do you think that this is the way that most brands are going to go here in the future? Um, or do you think there's still value in owning, you know, your own DTC arm and especially owning the data and the customer experience that comes with that? I, I, I think, I think for lower margin, you know, of course I care about beverage having high margin with 
in the context of beverage, lower margin, heavier things, it's, it's really hard to justify, you know, you know, any kind of spend on an, on an owned, an owned site going forward. Like, you know, there, there are always going to be exceptions that prove the rule. Like if you're, if you're amazing at it um, and, and, and the, like the, the DNA of the company is somehow specially oriented towards acquiring consumers, um, then yeah, there, then, then you can start to make a case that, and you know, owning the data, owning the relationship is important. But short of that, I, I I just don't see the reason to to spend a lot of money. It just seems to me to be like a a, a cost center that that the is, well, it'll be a marketing channel that never that like at best can pay for itself. And that's just that's not an that's not enough. Um, and and I and I, and I don't think that that you know that that is going to materially affect acquisition in the future and, and again there'll be exceptions that kind of prove the wrong and wow that one was very special but when you look at the margins that are possible within beverage it's just it's so hard to make the math work now early stage i think it can help with the narrative like you know if, if, if you're you know, if you can show demand for your product at all that is step one showing the ability to navigate the the, the wholesale system and and matriculate the demand through to, to retail to the consumer is kind of a step two, but I don't have any problem with people using it early. I just think that it, it should it shouldn't be a medium to long term strategy. Yeah, and I and I think too, it's like if your brand isn't going to spend the time and resources to build out a fully baked GCC team and CX team, and like you're going to have like these teams that like Jones Road or Olipop or any of these companies have, like you might as well offload the 30% of it to be streamlined through Amazon to free yourself up to you know go focus on retail and, and making sure that that part of the business is. Um, is doing well. Um, Omri, how, what's kind of your thoughts here? Uh, open to your broader thoughts on DTC and kind of where it's going, because that's been a hot topic for us over the past few weeks. And then, you know, what's your kind of more specific thoughts on, on brands moving to Amazon versus owning their DTC arm? Yeah, I, I have so many thoughts here. Um, first of all, I love that, that Swoon is focusing their online sales on, on Amazon so that they can prioritize retail, like you both said. Um, Amazon takes us so much time and energy and, and strategy that um, I don't think it's something that brands can just turn on as an afterthought when they see this news. I think that they, they have to treat it like a, a true channel um, and there's ads and there's merchandising and the, the way that you, you set up your photos and, and the copy so that people can find you. Um, Amazon is, is also a search engine that I don't think we talk about enough. The, pe the way people are finding your product is because they're either searching for the name or they're searching for sparkling water or they're searching for a turmeric latte and then they're sorting it by the most reviews or the best price, something that matters to them. Um, so you, you have to make your landing page as findable as, as possible. Um, and like CJ said, beverages are heavy and they're expensive to ship. So just that alone removes a lot of uh, operational complexity of not having to figure out how to get this one box of beverages to, to your customer. Um, similarly, brands like selling on FAIR because right now FAIR is covering the cost of shipping to small businesses like my mom's shop that we, we stock a ton of products on, on FAIR. So the price is right for us and it's also good for, for the brand to not have to send these one-off boxes to us for cases. Um, I've also seen 
food and beverage brands leverage Postmates and other on-demand food platforms to set up stores in a similar way so they don't have to ship their product locally. And that could work for a beverage brand as well. Um, yeah, 100%. And then how are yeah. you seeing like the like the brands that you work with and that you like closely with NECPG, how are you seeing them kind of approach DTC right now? I think if it's, if it's a ritual oriented product, um, everyone wants customers to use their product every day, but it's not realistic for every category. Um, but if it's, if it's a beverage like a coffee, we were talking about earlier, a vitamin, um, something for dogs or kids, of course they're going to get it on a, on a subscription. Um, it makes sense because people don't want to forget to, to buy something, especially if it's a dependent or a pet in the house that really needs that product. Um, so doubling down on retention, I, I see in, in so many different conversations one-on-one or, or in group chats, I'm an advisor to Retextion that's been out of Lunar Solar Group. They have a ton of experience in, in building these programs and, and email flows for retention for clients and then created software um, to help brands with retention, but also with membership programs and a lot of new features that can help CPG brands um, create the best experience possible for their customers online. Uh, I think tools like that are amazing to, to help brands take these programs to, to the next level and not a, just a set it and forget it subscription, but really engaging people in between purchases, I think is the, the key to retention so that they feel empowered about the product to keep using it, but also tell their friends about it. It's not enough that they, they buy it six or 12 times a year, but do they like the product? Do they, do they even know how to use it? I think are, are really important questions when we think about LTV. Yeah, I think there's gonna be two buckets kind of for DTC brands, the ones that are like approaching like Swoon where, hey, like it's not worth like the time for us to build out this internally and we're not losing that much by offloading it to Amazon. And then you're gonna have ones like, you know, Jones Road and brands like that that really dedicate a lot of time to owning that process that are primarily DTC and then going into omni-channel and prioritizing that um, that kind of component as well. So uh, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, uh, but if you can execute on either bucket, um, you know, it's, it's definitely worth it. Well, I, I think your use of Jones Road is pretty instructive. There is a right or wrong answer and it's got to do with margins. Like, like beauty, yeah. beauty's got like, just, you know, rip your face off awesome margins. For um, sure. Yeah. I mean that they can kind of let the margins kind of lead the, <laughs> lead the way in terms of what you're doing. And I still think like the funding and all that and the team that you can bring back, I mean, that's like the best DTC team probably in the game right now. And it's just like, um, what they're spending on like CX and retention and all of that, that their processes in place are, are awesome. So, um, all right, last topic. Uh, let's talk about a big brand here, Chobani. Um, I think this is a more of a story about the overall market. Um, Chobani is uh, kind of been rumored to be eyeing an IPO. Uh, it seems like for the past several years now, um, they've obviously expanded into a ton of different categories, um, as in you know prebiotic beverages. They're doing cold brew coffee. Coffee, they're doing oat milk. I will say like their non-sugar oat milk is probably the best one I've had. Uh, and they, now I think they own about 20% of the market share, obviously for their core category, which is yogurt. Um, they pulled the IPO. I think they, they decided, hey, we're just going to wait for um, kind of everything to cool down a little bit and, and wait for a little bit better macro environment um, before launching the IPO. Uh, you know, CJ, you're probably more the expert in this kind of category 
category uh, or topic than me. Um, is this more of just like, hey, this is a good company, just picking the right time, and there's nothing really much to read into here? Or are there things at Tremonti that they internally probably want to strengthen up a little bit before going out as well? Well, I mean, I think they really wish they would have gone public in 2020 or 2021. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, like we talked about a lot on this podcast of like how the public markets are valuing like the large CPG companies. Like, and, you know, even in the information that's kind of publicly available here, you know, it's dated, but, you know, you know, 1.4 billion in rev with, you know, still with a net loss. Like, I think right now that's just not what the markets are, are rewarding. Um, so I, I, my, my guess is, yeah, they're hoping for a better time. And, and in the interim, they're probably trying to, to, to do some nips and tucks to get to a place where they're, where they're profitable, um, just so they can start to tell like a completely different narrative than your Beyond Meats or your Oatly's or you know, any of these others that are, that are nowhere close to profitability. Um, you know, just, just moving over that bump of, of mildly negative to mildly positive, I think, I think will for a lot of investors, especially retail investors, potentially put them in a completely different category for how they, they, they look at them. I mean, you would think though that most people would view Chobani as much stronger than like a Beyond Meat or an Oatly, correct? I mean, just given kind of like how long they've been in the market now and like I think how successful they've been entering other categories versus those other two. Sure, but but I mean, but the like and and now you can see like how the you know how those companies like the Beyond Meats and the Oatleys. I mean, we're talking like eighty percent drops, yeah, and they're stuck at the lows. Like, so the, the market reevaluated them, um, and that, that still doesn't doesn't mean that that people aren't narrative driven animals. Um, and if, if you know Shabani can come out and show net profit. I think that's, you know, I think they're both waiting for a better window and probably trying to get to net profit, profit positive. So they just have a, a, a very distinct narrative to everyone else who's getting kicked in the teeth. Hey, everybody, that's it for this week's episode. Again, just a really quick episode that we wanted to get out. We've got a full length episode coming out this Wednesday. We hope you enjoy and thank you so much again for supporting the show.